God, as we have just sung in the words of that song, God, you are higher, you are greater, you are more powerful than anything that we can imagine. God, when we as your people look at the world that we live in, the challenges that face us, as well as the church, God, we are mindful that you are seated on the throne, that you are ruling over heaven and earth, and God, that all things will serve your ultimate good and purpose. Help us to lean in, help us to live in faith, God, trusting you. And even as your eye is on the sparrow, God, we know that you are watching us. We know that you watch over your church and your people. So help us to live in boldness and confidence and courage of you and of your great power. Help us not to be weak and fearful, but to God, to be faithful in all things. Bless us this day, God, as we sit under your word now and as we meet together as a congregation in our business meeting. God, be present with us. May your spirit fill us. May your spirit guide us. May you strengthen and build up your church, God, even in this place. May you use us, God, to build your kingdom for your glory and your praise. In your name we pray it. Amen. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you know that we sort of have our own language and culture. Not necessarily a bad thing, it's just just a thing, just acknowledging that. I mean, it's it's sort of strange if you think about it that we even have, we have language for architecture that the rest of the world doesn't use. Like, we're not in an auditorium, this is our nave, this is our sanctuary. And you came in not through the front entry or the foyer or the lobby, you came in through the narthex. And then there's this room back in the corner here where communion is prepared and and other things for worship are stored and there's a lot of clutter back there. That's the sacristy. And I'm not standing on a stage or even a platform. This is the chancel. So we have strange language. And then then there's uh, all the theological terms that we use as well that I'll spare you of right now and I'll try to be mindful of those through the message. And then there's the language that that is even found in Scripture that is sort of... uh, Difficult sometimes to understand, I suppose, or to relate to. I think of uh, the Scripture says that the church is made up of those who are called out of the world and then sent into the world. What does that mean? And Jesus said that the church is salt and light, that we are a city on a hill. What does that mean? In another place, the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, and it says also that we are the bride of Christ. More strange language. The Bible says that we who are many are one loaf. Are we talking about bread now? The church, this new community of God, is called to be a countercultural presence in the world. In the ways that we live, in the ways that we love. In fact, we're called to love radically. In a word that is so in a world that is so dangerously polarized and divisive, we are to lead the way in reconciliation, building bridges, not walls, removing barriers, extending mercy to the outsider and the vulnerable, offering healing and mending, generous with grace and forgiveness as God has been generous with us, and sharing the good news in word and deed, proclaiming Christ and being Christ to the world, committed to compassion, mercy, and justice. If you think about it, the church is honestly a pretty amazing thing. And not that we always live up to that, doesn't describe us exactly, but in many ways, I can say we're good, but we could be great. 
I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible right now. If you have your own, fine, or even better, but uh, grab a pew Bible if you would. And open to the New Testament. Last third of the, of the Bible. I'm trusting you're familiar with the, the New Testament begins with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are accounts, biographies of Jesus' life, death, and ministry. And once you get through the four Gospels, you come to the book of Acts. And Acts is a history of the early church. And then the rest of the New Testament, from Romans to Revelation, are letters that were written either to individuals or to the church uh, at large and then shared with the whole church. So that's sort of an overview of the New Testament. There, you just had New Testament 101, I guess. And uh, so the scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1. I invite you to turn there in, in particular. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with the third verse, page 1138 of the Pew Bible, if you're having trouble finding that, page 1138. This is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And these particular words that I'm going to read for you are some of the most inspiring and encouraging of Paul's letters. This is written to a letter that Paul, was, that a church that was very dear to Paul, uh, a people that he loved. He was part of the founding of that church. And uh, he speaks with love and encouragement. And he expresses his appreciation for them, for their partnership their, uh, in the gospel. He, he expresses his confidence that God is powerfully at work in them and through them. And, and then he prays for them as a church and as individuals um, that they will go from good to great as a church. So let's listen to God's word as, as I read. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you, all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that, all, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is God's Word. Friends, I, I think of the church often. This church, the churches of our community, the larger church of our denomination, and then by extension, I suppose, all uh, the evangelical church. I think about the whole Christian church, Protestant and Catholic, mainline and evangelical, Orthodox and, and Pentecostal. I'm in the church biz, but it's not just business for me. This is my life, my identity, my calling, my vocation, my family. We are the body of Christ, or one expression of it. And so I think about the church. I think about the ways sometimes, sometimes I think honestly about the ways that the church fails. Other times I think about the way that the church shines. And I hope that as time goes on that I'm, I hope that I never fail to see the places where we need to improve. I hope that there's always a kind of holy discontent in me when it comes to the church. By the same token, I hope that I'm never so discouraged by the need for improvement or change 
that I end up abandoning or walking away from the church. Our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, met in Minneapolis just the past few days, uh, concluded yesterday that meeting, and, uh, and today we are holding our annual meeting here at Zion. And so I think with mindful of both of those meetings, and I honestly I think it was more the denominational meeting that I had in my mind and in my prayers. This past week I found myself reading uh, in the book of Acts, again, history of the early church, in particular Acts chapter 15. And uh, in that chapter in particular, uh, we hear about the first church council that met in Jerusalem. This is the very first church council meeting, at least the first one mentioned in Scripture. And they met to discuss one of the most difficult issues of the day, what to do with Gentiles, non-Jews, who, uh, who were coming to Christ. Now, 2,000 years later, we can scarce appreciate really how divisive that issue was, uh, trying to bring together or simply welcome into the church people who were so different culturally, ethnically, theologically, socially. And what seems like a no-brainer to us on this side of that uh, story was an issue of sharp dispute and debate that lasted decades for the first century believers. And, and we're told by Luke in, in Acts chapter 15 there that they, that they gathered, they argued, they listened, they looked at Scripture, and they weighed heavily their experience. And they observed and acknowledged that the same grace of God that had been extended to them, to, to, that had saved Jewish followers, Jewish Christ followers, was also being given to the Gentile believers. And so as a result, they determined a clear path for Gentile inclusion. And maybe inclusion isn't even quite the right word because there weren't all that many who were arguing uh, whether Gentiles should be welcomed as believers. The issue was whether they were to be circumcised and keep all of the same Jewish laws and rules, if you will, that had been part of Judaism for so long, that had been part of the boundary markers in determining who was in and who was out. So, um, including Gentiles was the right thing to do, of course, but it was not an easy task. Potluck meals would never be the same. You can find this controversy coming up again and again throughout the New Testament. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that it comes up again and again. It's sort of in the context of the Judaizers, and I'll just leave it alone. But it, this issue comes up again and again throughout the New Testament. In fact, it could be argued that the book of Romans, Paul's masterpiece, was written almost entirely to address this issue of uh, the struggle between Jew and Gentile Christians coming together, living together, worshiping together, serving together, and, uh, and being together. The Jerusalem Council made their determination about what would be required of the Gentiles and then sent a letter to communicate that to the churches. And in it they said, and this is, this is the one phrase out of that letter that went out to all the churches after they made their determination, in that letter there's this phrase that has always sort of caught my attention. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This was not an easy conversation or easy decision. There was no relational covenant like we just uh, recited a few moments ago to guide their conversation. There was no manual about Gentile inclusion, no biblical instruction about how to do this. In fact, arguably many biblical mandates that might have warranted not doing it. 
But it was clear that God was already breaking down the door. And while the Jewish Christians of the Pharisee party were trying to hold the door shut, they insisted that Gentiles must do X, Y, and Z if they were to be truly saved or truly Christ followers. But it was evident that despite their rules and boundary markers, the Holy Spirit had already crossed their arbitrary lines. Faith was kindled in Gentile hearts, and it was clear that God was at work in them and that they were coming to Christ and committed to following Christ, even though it didn't look like the traditional Jewish perspective on faith and practice. And so the church had to wrestle with this. Again, 2,000 years later, we can't really appreciate this uh, quite as much, but what should, we, what should be expected of Gentile believers was really the question. It was not a unilateral decision on the part of the church leaders or the apostles in Jerusalem, but as you heard, the decision was in concert with the Holy Spirit. It seemed best to the Holy Spirit and to us. Well, today is our annual business meeting here at Zion. There's nothing weighty on the agenda that I'm aware of, no reason that I know of for conflict or debate, and today's meeting probably won't go down in history as anything other than a typical business meeting. But that doesn't mean that it's not important to the life of the church. And it's an appropriate time for us to ask, to ask ourselves, who are we? Why are we here? Why has God called us together at this time, in this place? What are we about? As you think about our mission statement, I hope and I pray that it's not just words on a wall out there in the narthex, but that we're actually living into who we are and what we say that we're about, to know Christ and to make Him known. What are we doing as a church? How are we living out our, our mission? And uh, Zion will be celebrating its 125th anniversary this coming year. 125 years of God's grace at work in us and among us, and I trust through us. We've been in this, bu- in this building as long, uh, nearly as long as the church was in its previous building. And while we're not talking about building a new building, we need to get out of this building. And by that I mean we need to increasingly be getting out of this building and into our community. Salt isn't very useful when it stays in the salt shaker. So increasingly, we need to think about outreach. We need to think about evangelism. We need to think about how to have impact in our community and in our world. And this is one of the areas that we as a congregation need to grow in. And we'll be talking more about that in the coming months. As most of you know, um, as I've mentioned already this morning, that we entered into this vitality pathway last fall. And this is a resource, a resource that is offered by our, both our conference and our denomination to help revitalize existing churches. And it is a sign of health that, that Zion even entered into this. It, it was really uh, on our part and the part of our leadership. In fact, I commend our leadership for taking this bold stance because what it means for us is that we are willing to look at who we are. We're willing to look at our church. We're willing to evaluate our church, our leadership, even our pastor, and ask, how are we doing? And where are we at? 
And uh, many of you participated in the Pulse survey a few weeks ago. By the way, thank you to those of you who participated in that. I think 141 people took the survey, uh, which is very encouraging to the Vitality team. It gives us sort of a baseline to know where we are at as a congregation and what are the things that we need to think about and, and, uh, and uh, address. And by the way, I had a sneak peek at the uh, report this last week. Are you curious? I bet you are. You should be. I, I just want to say that, I, honestly, I was encouraged. The report was better than I anticipated. And it also uh, addressed uh, a few things that we as a congregation will need to have conversations around. Things that, uh, areas, definite areas that we need to pay attention to and uh, grow into and improve. To go from good to great, if you will. Okay, so um, you will be seeing or hearing. I don't even know how that's going to happen yet, but you will have access to, the, to that final report uh, in the near future. So in our scripture, Paul prays for the Philippians, and he prays that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Love, as you'll recall, is the supreme or chief identifier of those who belong to Christ. Love, of course, is expressed in a myriad of ways. And as, as individuals and as a church, we will stay on track. We will grow in love when we stay committed, I'm going to say, to four things. And there's all kinds of ways to unpack this. But we have, we've addressed these uh, before. If you're, by the way, there's a place for notes this morning. If you want to, sort of, I'm not going to take a lot of time with each of these. But there's sort of these, what we call four owls, that we have addressed here at Zion before that help us stay on track and help us to go from good to great if we're paying attention to them. And they are these, to be biblical, devotional, connectional, and relational. And uh, if we pay attention and are intentional with each of these, we'll be well on the road to being a healthy missional church. And since repetition is the mother of learning, uh, let me remind you what we mean by healthy missional. Health is defined as Pursuing Christ, thank you. And missional is defined as pursuing Christ's priorities in the world, thank you. God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. Someday I should call you at 3 in the morning and you'll be able to recite that, just like that. And not just recite it, that we actually live into that, because that's our goal, not just to know that. So um, the first Al is um, biblical. Biblical means that we don't just believe the Bible to be the Word of God, to be the, 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 the um, only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, but that we are actually people of the Word, that we're actually reading and, and listening and studying and meditating on and hearing God's Word. That's what it means to be biblical. It also means that we're helping others to learn and grow in their biblical knowledge, and we are doing a good job here at Zion, in particular with our children, our children's ministry. In fact, I listened to my best friend preach yesterday at his son's wedding, and he said, it's not a good sermon if you, if you don't offend somebody. So I'm going, to, I'm going to offend a few people by saying this. There are children here who know their Bibles better than their parents. That's to the credit of our children's ministry. But it also addresses another area that we need to pay attention to and we need to do a better job of discipling adults here at Zion, which means us offering opportunities for you to be discipled, but it also means you taking advantage of those opportunities, whether they're Bible studies or small groups or your own reading of Scripture. 
It's one of the areas where we are weak. Doesn't bode well for a church if we're not actually in the Word. It's our foundation. So, but it's not just about reading the Bible and learning Bible stories and learning doctrine. We also want to be relevant and relational. And that brings us to the second L, which is devotional. And this has to do with the heart. If being biblical uh, speaks to the mind and, and shaping our minds and, and uh, conforming us to God and not to the culture, then devotional has to do with the heart. Spiritual disciplines and practices that foster a deeper love relationship with God. Things like worship and, and prayer, quiet time, Sabbath keeping, fasting, and, and giving. It's about growing into this love relationship with God that shapes all of life. And if our spiritual tanks, listen friends, if our spiritual tanks are empty, then we have nothing to give to others. And even our service is going to be out of duty instead of out of the fullness of a love for God and then a love for people. So being devotional speaks to the heart. It means cultivating a deeper walk with God. Last Sunday I was in Michigan uh, preaching up at a little church near where I used to live, and uh, I met a man at the beginning of the service. He introduced himself to me. He said his name was Enoch. Now, if you know the name of Enoch, he's mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 5, that genealogy, all those names, you know, that you sort of like skip over, like, you know, we start reading the Bible, and you get stuck in that chapter, and you're like, oh, this is boring. What's this here for? Well, it's, it's there for a reason, and Enoch's there for a reason. In fact, Enoch is the guy that breaks the pattern of all of these names, all of these people who lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. Enoch is the one who breaks the pattern. Enoch lived, he was born, he lived, and then he was not because God took him. And the point of the scripture is that Enoch found a way to escape death. It's by walking with God. And so the point is that we all need to be Enoch's, walking with God so that we learn what it is to live and, and uh, to, we, we discover life and more life by walking with God. So I said to this man, I said, oh, you're Enoch. You're the guy that walks with God. He said, I'm trying. I said, you need to try harder. You're still here. <laughs> we all need to be Enoch's. Doesn't mean if you walk with God, he's going to take you out of here. It means you're going to find life. Life and more life. Well, the third owl is um, connectional. And this one we do pretty well at Zion. In fact, it's also in our DNA as a denomination. You can find almost any covenant church anywhere, and most of them, most of them, everyone that I've been to, pretty warm and fuzzy, pretty relational, pretty welcoming, um, really good at making people feel welcome. And Zion does a good job at that. And we as a denomination, as I said, it's in our DNA. We were known at one time as mission friends. We take seriously being relational as a church body. And uh, church is a, is a family. It is a community where we know and are known, love and are loved, celebrate and are celebrated, serve and are served. Christianity is not a solo sport. This thing is meant to be done in community with other Christ followers. And no, it doesn't always come easy because we are flawed human beings. But we really do believe that we are better together. We are better together despite our differences. But it's something that we grow into. And that's why Paul wrote, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
And maybe I should say one other thing. Not only is it in our DNA as covenanters to be connectional, to be relational, it's also in our DNA as Protestants to splinter, to divide, to leave when we don't like something or don't agree with something. We protest. That also is in our DNA. And that's something that you have to fight against and resist. To stay together, to stay in conversation, that's part of why we crafted this uh, behavioral covenant, relational covenant. We have lots of new people here at Zion who have come in the past year, many who have come even in recent months. And uh, I'm certain that all of them want to be and are looking to be more connected to this body, to feel more a part of who we are. And uh, our encouragement to them is to take advantage of opportunities that are offered. But my encouragement to those of us who have been around here for a long time, pay attention to the people that you don't know, to people who are new. Uh, Not just a warm welcome, but summer's here. Have a picnic. And, And I hope going forward that Zion will be thinking more seriously about and more committed to small groups. That's where life happens. It's really where spiritual life needs to happen. Uh, Not just sitting in the pew is fine, but you really want to grow, you really want to get connected, you want to really feel a part, you want to be involved in in one another's lives. Can't happen other than in a small group. One-on-one groups. So we want to encourage that as well. Faith is meant to be lived out in community. Lastly, the fourth hour is missional, and this speaks to the whole mission of the church, evangelism as well as compassion, mercy, and justice. God wants lost people found, that's evangelism, and he wants hurting people help, that's compassion, mercy, and justice. The church does not exist for itself, but for those who are outside of the church. And again, here's another thing that we need to resist because we've been shaped, we've been influenced by the culture. We must resist being consumers. Even in the church, maybe especially in the church, we need to resist being consumers and instead see ourselves as fellow servants, as witnesses of God, as ambassadors of Christ and kingdom builders. We're here together to be on mission with God. We are called to use our gifts, our resources, our lives to serve God and others. Being missional means that we are pursuing the priorities of Christ who wants lost people found and hurting people helped. Um, we have a message of hope and healing, and so we are compelled to be missional. And this also, if I give you a little insight into our Pulse survey, this is probably the strongest area where we are the weakest. It's our biggest growth area. So I want to close by echoing Paul's words. And I'm closing with this, but at the same time, I don't sort of want to close with this. I think there are other things as well that we should be reflecting on and thinking about. And maybe for you, how do I say this? Um, If if a message like this is going to be relevant for you, it means that you need to think about your role, your involvement, your investment in the life of this body. If this is your church, if this is where God has called you, then you individually need to think about How invested, how involved am I in this church with my gifts, my times, my resources, my passions, my pursuits? 
my relationship with God. The church is only as strong as its weakest link. And you maybe don't think about this, but we are all part of the body of Christ. And so how I, how we live into our faith, live out our faith, impacts the whole body. It impacts the whole body. So it is important for us. You don't have to just think well about the leaders or about others who have been here at Zion for a long time. We all need to think about how am I invested, how am I involved in the life of this church, helping this church to go from good to great for the glory of God. And so let me close with these words from Paul who said, I thank my God every time I think of you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are in this together. And so together, let's strive to go from good to great for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for who you are and all that you have done for us and for this thing that we call the church. Lord, we thank you for it as well. It is your body, it is your bride. And God, while you took away by your own death, you took away, you cleansed, you loved the church, God, and you cleansed her. You removed every spot and wrinkle. And yet it's hard for us not to see the spots and the wrinkles when we are honest and look in the mirror. So God, help us to, help us to become what you have made us to be. Help us to lean into and live into your hope for the church that we may be through you the hope of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.